Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we'll be all over the scriptures today, but uh, this is our kind of our theme verse that I want to share with you from Philippians 1. All right, everyone there? Today I want to be an encouragement to you. This is a very precious verse in the scriptures, and it deals with something that is quite common in our world, something that uh, something we should be thinking about, frankly, is death. I know that might be an uncomfortable uh, subject for you, but it, it, is a, it is a good reality check uh, whenever we go to a funeral. A funeral is a good reality check. What is it uh, that is really important to us? Because we all deal with death, and if the Lord should tarry, uh, we ourselves will go through Death, but is it something that is to be feared? Something that we should, you know, just be worried about? And how, how do we handle this? Well, hopefully, if you're a believer, you handle it different from an unbeliever. <laughs> the Bible talks about we don't sorrow as as others sorrow as those who are the unbelievers. So have a look at Philippians one, verse twenty one. Verse twenty one. This is this. Just, I want to just focus on this one verse for the moment. Philippians 1.21 says, this is Paul speaking, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now that's coming from somebody who's in prison. He understands that his life could end very soon. But what does Paul say, what, what is his desire? He could have said a lot of things, couldn't he? But his desire was to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Uh, that's what he says elsewhere in Scripture. Also in Philippians. Paul made it clear. I uh, just wanted to make sure I find the right verse here. In Philippians 3, verse 10, he says, uh, That I may know Him, Jesus, and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, being like Him in His death. Of all the things Paul wanted to know, what, what is it that is on his heart, on his mind the most? What did he care about? It was Christ. Christ was Paul's life, his Life was made up of Christ. It wasn't just, you know, make Christ a part of my life. No, for Paul it was, Christ is my life, and my life is made up of Christ. And so as a wicked man's life is made up of sin, themselves, Paul's life was made up of Christ. In other words, he's, he's filled up with Christ. Just picture, you know, Paul as, as a glass, if you will, and just pouring the water in that's like the water being christ just filling them all the way up to the top until it just comes running out he was filled with christ i want to just think about these these two phrases in philippians 1 verse 21 here that first phrase says for me to live is christ in what ways is christ my life what in what ways should Christ be our life? In what ways was Christ 
for Paul? Well, number one, Christ is the principle of my life. Christ is the principle of my life. In other words, we, we're, we receive our spiritual life from Christ. As, just as a branch is, is going to receive its nourishment and its energy and its, its strength and vitality from, from the roots, so it is with Christ. In fact, you, you kind of get that imagery in John 15, don't you? John 15 says we can do nothing without Christ. The imagery there in the context is Jesus is the vine, we're the branch, and we have to stay attached to Christ and abide in Him because without Him we can do nothing. Galatians 2.20 says that Christ lives in me. How does He do that? Well, He does that through the Holy Spirit. He does that through the Holy Spirit. He's, he said he was going to send the Comforter, and he did. And so it's through him that Christ lives in us. So we receive our spiritual life from Christ. That's the idea of Christ is the principle of my life. But number two, Christ is the joy of my life. And he should be the joy of your life. Over and over again, various psalmists express this idea in various ways. Uh, here's, here's one way it's put in Psalm 43, verse 4. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. God is the exceeding joy. God is that treasure. So a Christian can rejoice in Christ even though uh, the, the circumstances of our lives may not seem to, to show that we can. Even though worldly happiness might be gone, the, you know, you, you can, you can be like Paul sitting in prison here, right? But Paul was able to say, I am content in whatever state I am in. And so if Christ, think about this, if Christ were gone, my life would be a death to me, wouldn't it? Your life would be a death if Christ was gone. So Christ is the joy of your life. Number three, Christ is the end of my life. The reality is I live not to myself, but to Christ. All my living is to, to serve Christ. He's my Lord. He's my Master. He's my Savior. He's, he's everything. And we're going to stand accountable for that one day. Look what Romans 14, verse 8 says. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't put it up there. But Romans 14, verse 8 says, Whether we live... We live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. It doesn't matter. Whatever He wants to do, either way, cause us to live or die, we're still the Lord's. And so we should lay ourselves wholly up for Christ. We should be witnesses of His gospel. And so the design of our life then is, is not about us, it's about exalting Christ. It's about bringing Him the glory that he deserves. Showing you and everyone around you who he really is. Ma making him look big in the eyes of people, if you will. For me to live is Christ. That's what Paul says. And so if we can say that Christ is the principle of my life, if we can say that Christ is the joy of my life, and if we can say that Christ is the end of my life, then... 
then you can agree with what Paul says next in Philippians 1, verse 21. You can conclude then that to die is actually gain. If Christ is your life, if he wants to take your life, then so be it. Then death is truly gain. So to a believer, death is great gain. It's not just any kind of gain, it's a great gain. So a Christian can tell what it his losses for Christ are here on earth, but how do you actually tell what your gains are in the future? I mean, the Bible does tell us a few things, but we, we can't talk, talk about all these great gains that are coming our way at death. But the Bible does say a few things. What, what gains? I mean, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But what what gains might he have had in mind? Well, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, so let's just think through what the Bible says. Number one, believers at death shall gain relief from all sins and troubles. Your sin nature is going to be gone when you die. All these troubles of our life that we've had and are having now will, will be gone. We're going to be in a state of perfection. Sin, your sin nature is gone. Sin expires when your life on this earth expires. And that should be a happy thing to think about. All right? For a believer, that's a great thing. It's interesting what uh, David says in Psalm 31, verse 10. He said, David cries out and he says, My life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones are consumed. You you hear the the agony in his voice there? He's not happy about the grief and the sighing and his strength failing because of his sin, and even his bones, his body is, is cursed because of sin. Augustine said it this way, Augustine said that long life is merely long torment. Long life is just merely long torment. Why, why would anybody want to live to be over 100? It just boggles my mind. I, have, I certainly have no interest in that. For me to live is Christ, to die is, is, is something that's actually gain. So life begins with a cry. You, you come out of the womb and usually you're crying and... Life usually ends with a groan, but at death all troubles die. At death all troubles die. It's gone. So it's, it's relief from all sin and trouble. Number two, believers at death shall gain the glorious sight of God. You read the Beatitudes, one of, the, one of those things in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes is we get to see God. We get to see God. We get to see God intellectually with the eyes of our mind. Theologians call that the beautific vision. At the moment, we don't get to see God, really. We see effects of God. We can see His creation. We get to read about Him in His Word. But we're really limited, aren't we? The Bible says you can't see God in your sinful state. You would, it would be the worst sight you'd ever seen. You'd be consumed in your sinful state, but in a perfect state it'll be the the best thing ever we get to see the glorified body of jesus christ one day and the bible says when we get to see him then we'll be made like him 
see him as he is, that'll be a great sight. It's something that we should meditate upon often because one author put it this way, what is heaven without Jesus? Would you actually want to be in heaven if Jesus wasn't there? I wouldn't. The blessed sight to be be there, see Christ. He, he's still clothed with a human nature. I'll remind you. He is, he is a human and, and he has that, that d- divine nature, all two natures combined forever in one person. And so the sight of Christ is going to be something that's actually delightful. The terror of God is actually taken away when that sin nature goes. When when death comes, then it's not a terror to see God anymore. Number three, the believers at death shall not only have a sight of God, but shall enjoy His love. Yeah, we get to enjoy His love now, but it's even going to be better. God's no longer going to have to veil Himself, if you will, from us. On earth, we pray for His love. We receive you know, His, His grace, His, His love in a way from heaven. But in heaven, when we get there, we're going to receive as much love as we can possibly handle. We can't handle it all at the moment. You're going to enjoy His love. Number four, believers at death shall gain a celestial palace. You know what the Bible says, right? Jesus in John 14 said, Hey, I'm I'm going to prepare a place for you believers. And I'm going to come again. And and when I do come again, I'm going to receive you to myself. That where I am, there you will be also. The Bible says Jesus is preparing a place for believers in heaven. You'll have, some call it a mansion. Some call it a room in the Father's house. The Bible says this house is not made with with hands, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. We know that if our earthly house were dissolved, we have a building of God. We have a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. On earth, you think about this. Just think about this for a moment. On earth, we struggle to find sometimes... uh, space to live in. We find it difficult in many different ways. But in heaven, we're going to have a royal palace to live in. We'll be in the Father's house, the one that Jesus has specifically prepared for you. But on earth, we're just a pilgrim. We're we're an alien. We're passing through a, a foreign land, if you will. In heaven, there's a mansion, and there's no landlord going to come around asking for his payment. And if some, nothing's going to break down and you don't have to go and, and annoy the landlord and say, hey, fix this, 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 whatever, this appliance is broken or the roof is leaking. You're not going to have any of that sort of stuff going on in heaven. Not in the Father's house. Colossians 1 verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father which has made, uh, <clears throat> made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You're a partaker of something that's glorious. Again, John 14, verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Do you believe that? That's that's the sort of stuff you ought to meditate on. That's the right kind of content to think about to quiet your noisy souls. 
Number five, believers of death shall gain the community of glorified saints and angels. That's not the main reason we look, look forward to heaven, but it, it is a wonderful thing to, to meditate upon nevertheless. We're going to see them in their souls and eventually in their bodies, the Bible says. We'll be able to have a close conversation with glorified saints. It's fun to think about who, who, in the, who of the various personalities in the Bible do you want to go and talk to the most? I, I enjoy thinking about that. <laughs> you know, imagine going and talking to Paul or Elijah or Daniel or you know, Moses or whoever, I don't know. Fun to think about that. And going to talk to, to angels would be interesting as well, won't it? Get their perspective on things. It's going to be delightful to, to be able to be there free from sin's corruption. You no longer have pride or envy or, or jealousy or covetousness, any of that sort of stuff. And, and you're, not, you're, not, you're not scarred with that up in heaven. And you can actually carry on a, a, a conversation with another uh, saint of God or an angel in, in, in a way that is not corrupted by sin. In heaven, there's going to be perfect love among saints. Perfect love. I don't know about you, but I believe in the glorified state, we're going to know other saints. You're going to know other believers, other Christians. And the reason I say that is, it's uh, well, there's, there's a few scriptures we could look at, but you know that passage in Matthew 17, the, where Jesus was there on that Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says that, even the disciples recognized Elijah and Moses as they were standing there with Christ. They were recognizable. Well, how did they recognize these guys? <laughs> in, their, in their particular state they were in at that time, they, they, they could look at them and say, hey, I know those guys. I don't know how they knew them, but they, they were recognizable. I think that's the way it's going to be with all saints in heaven. And you can walk up to them have a conversation, be it amongst this glorified community. There will be divine harmony and joyful triumphs in heaven. And we'll be able to sing. The Bible talks about uh, great choirs in heaven singing together. Uh, if you enjoy singing, just think about that, because at the moment our voices are corrupted by sin as well. So in heaven we'll be able to sing praises to God with uh, vocal cords that are no longer corrupted by sin. Number six, believers at death shall gain perfection of holiness. You gain perfection of holiness. Here on earth, grace is something that's imperfect. In heaven, there, there's no need to pray for more grace. <laughs> Not in heaven. Yes, God's grace is sufficient on earth. In heaven, we don't have to pray for that. We, we have God Himself. We have the Lamb who will be there, Jesus Christ. Number seven, believers at death shall gain a royal feast. If you enjoy eating, just think about what is that going to be like. Again, our, even our own taste buds are corrupted by sin at the moment. But in heaven, your taste buds will be free from that corruption. The Bible talks about in Revelation 19, there's going to be a marriage Supper of the Lamb, when there's to be this big celebration when Jesus Christ, who is the groom, marries his bride, the church. 
It'll be a huge wedding feast for a thousand years. The Bible also talks about Revelation 22. There is a tree of life that has 12 different kinds of fruit. Imagine eating of that, a, a perfect tree. No blemishes on whatever that fruit is. There's no worms eating the apple or whatever that fruit might be. There's, you know, it gets all the perfect nourishment it needs. And again, you're not corrupted by sin, and you'll be able to go and partake of that as you wish. Here's what the Bible says. I think I put this on the screen, didn't I? This is John, the Apostle John speaking in Revelation. He says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. <coughs> Number eight, believers at death shall gain honor and dignity. They shall reign as kings, the Bible says. They shall reign as kings before God. Revelation 4, you can read about, the Bible talks about all believers having white robes and crowns. The Bible says here, Revelation 4, round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. The Bible says crowns will not fade away. They're reserved in heaven for you, First Peter says. In fact, verse 4 says, the full, full thing says that when the chief shepherd shall appear you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. It talks about that aspect. It's not fading away. It's something that's eternal. It's, it's, it's permanent. So why will saints receive all this gain? Why, why do we get this? Well, it's not because we deserve it. That's not why. They have a right to all this gain at death because of several reasons. I'll give you four. Number one, the Father's donation. The Father donated his son, if you will. Think of it that way. Father gave his son. You know John 3.16, don't you? Father loved the world. So he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The father loved the world. It started there. The son, we have the son's purchase his ransom of unbelievers. He did that when He came. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died, which we could not, and rose again, conquering death and Satan and all of His works. But we also have uh, the Holy Spirit's guarantee. Jesus said, when I go, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit guarantees what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us, and He indwells all believers. And we know that one day we will receive glorified bodies. We will go to heaven because we have the Spirit's guarantee of that. 
Number four, why will the saints receive all this gain? It's because of faith's acceptance. It's not based on works. The Bible says it's through faith in Christ alone that this comes our way. So we have a glorious gain. Yes, to live is Christ, but to die is gain because of these four reasons. Colossians 1 verse 12 says this, giving thanks to the Father. Why? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You've been qualified. (laughs) You ever applied for something and you wonder, well, I wonder... You apply for that thing, it might be something in the mail or whatever, you send it off, and you know, I wonder if I'm going to, you know, it could be a job or who knows what. Uh, it might be a credit card or something, but, you know, I wonder if I'm going to get it. Well, this is not one of those things where, you know, you, you apply for something and wonder, is it going to happen? No, it says, you have qualified. And we're to give thanks to the Father because He's the one who has qualified us for this inheritance. We're heirs of God. We have a right to inheritance. I want you to notice there's a big difference between the death of an unbeliever and the death of a believer. The believer is a great gainer. Paul says, for for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm not losing, but for an unbeliever, they're a great loser. (laughs) Because... If they die as an unbeliever, what they have in this life is their best life now. Because it only gets worse in the next. But as a believer, it's a gain. I want us to just think about what does an unbeliever actually lose? What does an unbeliever lose? Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but that's not the case for an unbeliever. So what does an unbeliever lose? Number one, they lose the world. They lose the world. Unbeliever lives for this world. They live for the the transient, the temporary. And so they lose all of that. And they cannot take it with them. They've laid up their treasures on earth. And they're going to lose it all once they die. You've probably heard it said that you never see a hearse pulling a trailer, do you? All those pharaohs of Egypt, buried with their treasures, never got to take it with them. You never get to take it with you. But the Bible says for, an un, for, for a believer, we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. We can send it on ahead. That's the treasure principle. We can send it on ahead if we live for the next life. So an unbeliever loses the world. And number two, they lose their souls. They lose their soul, the thing, uh, the, the real them that lives forever. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 16. Jesus said, What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 27 says this, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So reward is coming, but not in this life for a believer. So the soul is what God has stamped his image on. It's something that's more precious than the entire world, Jesus says. The soul lasts forever. So for an unbeliever, that soul is 
going to be tormented forever in the lake of fire. It's a real place. Number three, an unbeliever who refuses to put their faith in Jesus alone will lose heaven. So, so not only do they go to the worst place that you could possibly think of and imagine, they, they lose the best place imaginable at the same time. They lose heaven. So everything good, wonderful about heaven is going to be lost to an unbeliever. Number four, they lose all hope. They lose all hope because there is no second chance. It's like the rich man in Luke chapter 16 who went to hell. He had no second chance, and that's the way it is for all unbelievers. The best he could do is cry out to Father Abraham and said, Hey, would, would you please send someone to my brothers so they don't come to this place? The Bible says that faith gives a title deed to heaven. Death gives the possession of that title deed. And so though we should desire to serve God here on earth, yet we should also desire to be with Christ in heaven. Okay? So that's if, you, if you're looking at Philippians chapter 1, we haven't read verse 23 yet, I don't think. Look what Paul talks about here in Philippians 1, verse 23. He's expressing this, this inner turmoil, if you will. And look what he says in verse 23. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. The two is living for Christ or dying is gain. Do I live? Do I die? Yeah, They're both good for a believer. And so I'm hard-pressed between this two. My desire is to depart, to, to die, to be with Christ, he says. Why? He says, well, that's far better. That's far better. <laughs> and then verse 24, he says, but to remain in the flesh, to continue to live on earth, in other words, is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus, Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. It's a tough choice. <laughs> if you understand what death means for a believer, it's a tough choice. If you actually believe, it's great gain. Paul said, well, I'll leave that up to God. I'll leave that in God's hands, His sovereign choice. When is my time to go? So, what do we need to do? Here's my exhortation to you. We need to be content to live. But we also need to be willing to die. It's that simple. I only have one exhortation for you. You say, well, what do I do with Philippians 1.21? How am I going to walk out of here and use this? You say, so what? (laughs) I mean, that's nice. Paul says that. but, But so what? Well, we need to be content to live. And live for God's glory, serving Him.